Hi, everyone. I'm Megan Berg. And I'm Dr. Jeanette Benegas. And we are here to fix SLP. We are discussing the biggest challenges that are currently holding back the field of speech-language pathology. We present the issues with facts and invite you to be part of joining our movement to make things better, one conversation at a time. Let's fix SLP. Brianna Pickens. The effort it has taken for you and I to arrive at this point, we have had rescheduling, we have had issues pop up. The thing we're going to talk about today has happened so long ago, it feels like. Um, But we even, this is our second recording effort. We tragically lost the first effort. That's a story for another day. Uh, But that was practice. So we can, we can talk about what we need to talk about. So tell us about yourself. And I'm just going to, before you do that, for our listeners, I am going to let everyone know that it is a Sunday and Brianna and I both have a six-year-old child (laughs) that I will do my best to edit out. I have one climbing on the table in front of me at the moment. Um, So I'm going to press mute. And Brianna, tell us about yourself. Who are you? Yes. Hi, Jeanette. Thank you so much for having me. This is such an honor. I'm glad to be here. Um, My name is Brianna Pickens. I am a speech language pathologist in Ohio. Um, I own a private practice in Columbus, Ohio. Um, Let's see. So we are a pediatric private practice. Um, I consider myself an early intervention SLP. I work with a lot of littles. We do a lot of early language, working on lots of pre-language skills, language, phonology, motor speech, you name it. Um, So we provide services in our outpatient office. And uh, we also have, uh, we serve in schools around our area as well. So I have been serving the team, the community, excuse me, um, along with my team since 2017, um, so we're celebrating seven years. I'm super excited about that. Um, let's see. I do have a lot of school experience. I started my career as a school-based SLP, and then I would do um, work in a private practice on the side. It was like my side gig. Um, so that's how I started. Didn't know at the time that I was going to eventually own a private practice. And then God planted the seed, and I got to work in 2017. Um, so that's kind of the gist of my career thus far. I've been practicing since 2012. Um, so we're coming up. Yeah, we're coming up it, and on year year 12 here really soon. Um, so that's my. Um, that's I'm who sorry. you are. It's that's what you're doing. Why am I drawing a blank? Because right it's I Sunday and we have kids. Um, I can hear her. I can hear her like noises. It's a distraction. Oh, so oh tell us. God. I want to know something. I mean, you're doing a lot for the field in Ohio, but I want to know something fun that you do, a hobby or like, who are you outside of being a clinician? Yes. So I um, was a former collegiate um, athlete. I played volleyball, go Zips. So pre-pandemic, I used to play in a volleyball league and I loved it. I would like go to work and then after work, I would go to a gym and play with all um, other like old washed up college players. And it was fun. Um, I also enjoy um, spending time outside. I love just going to walk 
Um, I, re- I live close to an outdoor mall, so I'll just go walk outside. I love working out. Um, that is something that um, keeps me energized and keeps me motivated. Um, I spend a lot of time with my family. I do have like a six-year-old who is running around the office. I can hear bumps of so getting distracted. Um, yeah, so that's what I do in my spare time, work out, walk. We asked you to join us to tell mm-hmm. us about the advocacy work that you have done in Ohio. And before you, before you start telling us about that, um, I just want to make sure that everybody knows that this work is not because of Fix SLP. We don't want to take credit for the work Brianna and her colleagues have done. Um, it wasn't even inspired by Fix SLP. This started long before Fix SLP was even a dream. But Brianna, Brianna's work and the work that she and her colleagues have done is super in line with what we think a fearless fixer could look like. And even the last time that we recorded, we hadn't really even come up with this advocacy firm idea that we're moving towards now. But this is the dream that we have of someone like Bree doing what she did and us partnering with people like her. So it fits in. Um, Tell us about what you've been doing. Sure. So this all started um, about four years ago. Um, I read an article about um, a speech language pathologist who had um, helped to spearhead efforts to increase um, Medicaid rates in their state. I can't even remember the state. I just remember sitting down and reading the article and they were successful at doing that. Um, So there was this this big article about it. Um, And then I even, I was so inspired. I remember sending the SLP an email and and telling her how inspired I I was and that I wanted to um, help my state to improve our um, Medicaid reimbursement rates because um, they were just so low and it it was difficult to um, grow my practice, you know, um, with those sort of rates. So that's where it started. And just like um, I was just so interested in trying to understand how we got to a certain rate um, for a primary billing code. I just couldn't understand why it was there and how we got there. Um, And I was experiencing difficulties growing my practice and sustaining because um, I had so many um, members of Medicaid who needed services and would knock on our, our doors for services. So we were serving about 80% 80% of the families that we serve have Medicaid. And so that's where the interest came from. I just wanted to learn more about like how we got there and was there any way to increase the rates? And if so, how did we go about doing that? So that's where it came from. Um, so then I just kind of started to get to work. I first started by just like doing some research and that research looked like going on our state organizations page and kind of familiarizing myself with the board and their roles and um, kind of figuring out who I needed to um, draft an email to to ask some questions about how do I how can I advocate for increased rates or what committee can I join to do this? Yeah. So that's how it started. Yeah. So you you started figuring out who to ask. I think in any process and ev- anyone that we've talked to so far, that seems to be like the first challenge because every state's a little bit different. Everybody has different 
contacts, especially with this Medicaid thing. We're not in this position in Ohio, but there's 11 states that require the CCC for Medicaid billing. So for the states that are actively taking this issue on right now, we can see from behind the scenes that figuring out the right people to talk to is the very first hurdle. And then Mm -hmm. once you get over that hurdle, you figure it out, you start asking the questions, you get in contact with the right people, then you can kind of start doing the work. Well, Mm -hmm. that is part of the work, but doing the rest of the work. So what has that process looked like for you? Once you figured out the right people, then what was your next step? What did you do next? Once I found a point of contact, OSLA, that then led me to learn about um, OSHCAC or Ohio Speech and Hearing Governmental Affairs Coalition. So I was able to connect with um, someone who was a part of that organization. Um, and then I was given the oppor- opportunity to present to them. So I kind of uh, drafted up um, a summary of what my concerns were, um, which were the current Medicaid reimbursement rates and how this was impacting my practice and that um, I had a strong interest to get involved um, to help. And so, again, kind of just sharing who I was um, and um asking them, you know, what can I do to help? I'm willing to do it. I'm an independent clinician. Tell me how I can get involved. Um, So that then led me to connect with um, someone who I consider a mentor and friend. Um, Her name is Terry Hollenkamp. And she at the time was a part of the GAC. And so over the course of the past four years, um, I have really just stayed connected with her and she has kind of guided me and helped me to understand things um, you know, politically and kind of how you navigate through this. And um, so she has been a huge supporter. Um, So I I stay connected with her. Um, I then got connected with um, the lobbyist that was also a part of um, the GAC. And um, I was then told, I learned, hey, you have to have a white paper if you want to advocate. Um, So that was kind of like step Two, I would say, okay, so I connected with GAC and it was, oh, we have to have a white paper so that when we're going um, in front of important people, they understand what our concerns are, what our um, ask is. So it was a lot of learning too along the way. I'm going to interrupt you. What is a white paper? For our listeners who don't know what a white paper is, tell us real quick, just very briefly what that is. That's a good question. So a white paper is just a guide that informs the reader or the person you're expressing concerns to about the issue, who the issue impacts, how it impacts the people or the organization or the group, um, the changes that that need to occur, and why um, you want to include important stats and facts that further prove the issue. And then your clear ask, you know, what is it that you're asking for um, when you're advocating to lobbyists and lawmakers, community leaders? So that's just a summary of what a white paper is. Okay, so you wrote the white paper. Mm-hmm. You said that was step two. What came after that? So I should also um, add in here. So the white paper was drafted by, uh, it was myself and several colleagues um, who are also independent clinicians and private practice owners. We got together to draft that paper. Um, and then in the midst of all of this, as I was doing my research, because I did spend a lot of time on the Ohio Department of Medicaid's website, I learned that they were um, going through a procurement process. They were getting ready to invite other um, 
insurance companies to be a part of uh, their managed care organization. And so they wanted to first, before they rolled that out, they wanted to hear from members and they wanted to hear from providers, you know, what our experience was like. And I, I thought, oh my gosh, this is perfect timing. Um, okay, so I completed the, um, it was about like an 11 page questionnaire. I completed it. I shared it with all of my colleagues. I encouraged people to um, take a moment, sit down and complete that. This was the first step. Medicaid is asking for our feedback. So this is an opportunity. It's really important if someone's asking asking you for feedback, asking you for input, you definitely want to take a moment to share that. So that's what I did. Then I took it a step further and I said, okay, I submitted that, but I want to make sure they got it. And there was some point of contacts within this questionnaire. So I just, I emailed the point of contacts and I said, hey, here's our concerns. This is who I am. Um, this is um, my concern. Can we meet? Can we set up a time to meet with your department? And they said yes. And so then we set up a meeting, our first meeting um, with representatives um, from the Ohio Department of Medicaid. Um, it was particularly re representatives that were part of the procurement team. And so my colleagues and I um, got together again. We created a presentation um, and then we went to Medicaid and we shared what our concerns were concerning the rates and why and how it was impacting families and our practices and things such as that. A lot of this, you know, you make it sound so easy, but this <laughs> I know this wasn't hard because it took you, or I know it wasn't easy mm -hmm. because it took you four years. So you started having these conversations with Medicaid. Um, I'm going to jump ahead before we get to the outcome. Um, Another question I had was you told me privately, Medicaid has been great to work with. And mm -hmm. just watching what Michigan is going through right now, it doesn't quite sound like their Medicaid has been as great as Ohio's Medicaid. So this certainly isn't going to be the case everywhere. But you said in Ohio, Medicaid has been great to work with. So mm -hmm. tell me about like, that established relationship with them. What do, what do you mean when you said they've been great to work with? They have been um, communicative and responsive to, you know, our questions, our emails. Um, they have been open to setting up meetings to discuss our concerns. Um, and over the course of four years, I mean, we've met with them three times, one time in person, and then we had a pandemic. So we met couple more times um, virtually. And the first time, you know, they told us that we, our issue had to be addressed at the state house. So it was like, okay, this is great. We got some new information. Okay. The state house. Now, how do you navigate the state house? You know, how, what does that look like? So then, you know, that's when we learned about getting um, connected with our state representatives and um, connecting with lobbyists to, to help with that. So I say they were great to work with because they answered our questions. Um, they showed up to meetings. Um, we even asked them for some, some information, some stats. We really wanted to show that um, overall, this issue was impacting access to care for their members. And we wanted to show that there are counties that have as few as like one one Medicaid provider because there's just not enough providers. So they were um, very helpful in just providing us with um, 
any information, a lot of information that we asked for, you know, we wanted to know how many times was our primary billing code 92507 built, you know? Um, so a lot of different little stats like that, they were able to and willing to share that information with us just to kind of help us to comb through numbers and, and, and trying to understand things, um, just on a more, um, in-depth level. So I love what you said just a minute ago, you said you collected statistics so you could show how this is impacting access to care. And I think any Medicaid issue that someone wants to take on in any state, whether it be cleaning up language like they just did in Arkansas, um, you know, the application and the regulations weren't matching. I believe that was the issue. You know, they had to go to Medicaid and, and talk about those issues. Um, in In Michigan, their point is, you are requiring the CCC to bill Medicaid, and this is going to prevent access to care. As some of us are choosing to let the CCC go, you're going to lose providers. And that is so important because at the end of the day, we're all here to serve people. And we all wanna serve people as well as we can, but we also have to get paid. The, you know, We aren't all wrapped up in, in volunteer work, <laughs> you know, we, we all have to have a job and we have to be able to pay our bills. And there's no shame in talking about money, right? That's especially women are often afraid to talk about money, but this is a money issue with, yeah. why don't you share with us? Cause I know what it was, but I don't think you've said it yet unless I zoned out. No, what, I haven't. What was the rate that you were taking on for 92507? Yeah, so the previous rate um, for billing code um, 92507 was $37.03. And I should also mention that that is an untimed code right. um, here in Ohio. So if you um, saw um, a kiddo or an adult, you know, an individual for 30 minutes or 45 minutes or 60 minutes um, billing that code 92507, you received a flat rate of $37.03. Right. And the question is, I just met someone at a, a birthday party yesterday whose husband is a PT, who's pretty frustrated with his field. And I was explaining all of this to her, you know, in PT, every eight minutes, they get to build their code again, right? But for mm -hmm. us, again, that's an access to care issue. We might have someone who needs to be seen for 45 minutes, or maybe they'd benefit from an hour. Mm -hmm. And how do you maintain a business? at $37 a session. You know, think about those corporate companies where there's lots of people who get paid between the therapist and then, you know, the the top, you know, the company that that you spread that really thin and this is why we are not getting pay raises. This is why we're taking pay cuts. This is why we have a reimbursement th this this is why the reimbursement problem in our field is directly impacting our take-home pay. And for someone like you that doesn't have a million people who need to be paid between Medicaid and by the time your company receives the money, it's still like a dire situation. So people need to let that sink in as people scream that we deserve to be paid more and my employer's not paying me enough. $37 for you to see that patient in Ohio 
And that's before taxes, right? Like, I, I mean, come on, guys, lights, water, walls, insurance, like all the things. Yes. Our companies have been robbing Peter to pay Paul just to stay open. And and you said, you know, let that sink in. Um, this has been so challenging, you know, and I will speak for my practice. Um, I've had conversations with others who have faced struggles too, because $37.03 is not a sustainable rate in the least bit. It, it It's not sustainable. Um, and, and you said it, there's rent, there's payroll, we have to purchase assessment tools, there's taxes, um, there's therapy materials that we have to buy, you know, um, I have to take courses on, you know, different clinical skills, you know, um, tots, motor speech. I mean, you name it. Yeah. There are, you know, we have to continue to educate ourselves and make sure that we have the clinical skills to serve. And that takes money. That, that takes resources. And it is, it was, it has been difficult to do that on such a low rate. And I have seen, you know, I'm a part, we're all a part of different Facebook groups and, you know, we have seen the posts and hung out in the comment sections and I've seen the back and forth conversations about pay us more, you know, um, we need to be paid what we're worth. And I agree. I wholeheartedly agree with that. But what we have to stop doing is kind of going back and forth at one another. And we have to shift our focus to the payor sources. Who is paying us? Who is reimbursing us? And what does that look like? Because that then has a trickle down effect on how we can pay ourselves, how we can pay our team. And many might say, you know, we, we all we are all going to have a different perspective and view, especially as an independent clinician on how we should handle that. You know, it, it becomes, well, it's this is my practice. This is my problem. I've got to do something about it. And you are so right. And that's why I got involved with increasing these rates, advocating for increasing these rates and and why it was so important. I got involved. But, you know, there are, uh, people might say other things too, like, you know, well, then you, you have to change the type of insurance you accept. And for me, I wasn't willing to do that. 80% of the families that we serve have Medicaid. I would say my practice is centrally located in my area, so anyone can call for services. But that is who has been knocking on my door. And I want to serve them. So I said, okay, I have to do the work to change this for families and not just for my practice, but for other fellow private practice owners who were also struggling and having to make hard decisions, hard decisions about who they could serve because this is not sustainable. And I, it wasn't sustainable. And I, I just wanted to make sure that I said that. I mean, this it has been such a journey and, and you can probably feel and sense my passion, mm -hmm. you know, for this. And, and it has just been a struggle. It has yeah. been a struggle. Yeah. But we did the work, right? We, we got to do the work. We've had a bunch of conversations. So they're all like mashed together in my head. And it I was going to point that out because it's something that you said to me in one of our other conversations, potentially in our last recording, um, that you could have approached some of these insurance companies on your own to negotiate just a higher rate for your business mm -hmm. exclusively. Mm -hmm. But you chose to step out and do it for everyone because... 
if you were going to do it, why not do it in an impactful way that really makes a difference in the field? And, and I said to you, it's going to have a generational effect. Like you have left a legacy in the state of Ohio and your name might not be attached to it. And, you know, a couple months from now, no one might know who you are, you know, especially if they've not listened to the podcast. But what you did has changed the lives of not only clinicians who can be reimbursed more, but families. Mm -hmm. What you did is going to allow businesses like yours to serve more people because we're Mm -hmm. all here to serve people, but we can't do it if we're not getting paid. And again, I want to stress that getting paid is not a dirty thing. No one is getting rich here. But we all have to be able to pay the bills. And so just the legacy that you're leaving in Ohio is just amazing. I totally respect it. And so I think that leads us to you announced what happened on social media. Tell us what happened as a result of all this work that you and your colleagues took on. Yes. So it was October 3rd, which was a day the day before my birthday. Um, we received an, an email from um, the Ohio Department of Medicaid. Um, it was addressed from Governor DeWine and the General Assembly stating that um, rates for non-institutional and non-hospital providers, um, they were going up substantial increases. Um, and the reason for this is they wanted to make sure that their members continue to have access to care. Um, they want to make sure that they have access to healthcare providers for the, the services that they need. So they're increasing rates. And I, <laughs> I couldn't believe it. And I'm like, oh my God, the day before my birthday, I'm, you know, texting and calling colleagues and, you know, we're, we're talking about this, but it, it happened. It was getting ready to happen and it was set to go into effect, uh, January 1st of 2024. And it did. Um, and, and I'll just have to say, I, I was very close because I, I like to leave with transparency. This has been a journey across four years. Okay. I can't even tell you the, the number of emails I've sent, um, the meetings we've, we've spearheaded and organized and, and held, um, the, the letters that we've writ- written, meeting with our state representatives, um, forming a, a Medicaid committee, um, communicating with the lobbyists or the GAC, I mean, you name it, keeping um, fellow private practice owners updated, you know, via social media platforms. I mean, it has been a work in progress. And there were so many times across the journey that I felt alone. I felt unseen. I felt unheard. Um, You know, we were doing this, we were doing the work, Again, it was still very difficult to maintain in my practice. And so I almost gave up. I started to, in my mind, prepare and make a decision to shift my business structure. And this caused me to go into just like a state of like lamenting. I was just very sad and it was really emotional, but I wasn't sure how much longer I could keep up this way, you know? And shortly thereafter, we got the email. So I said, praise God, I am a God girl. Um, so I give him all the glory and honor for that. Um, but we did it. We did it. We did it for families. We did it for 
SLPs, you know, we did it for our field and I'm, I'm super, super, super excited and happy about that. I mean, I, my heart is like bursting right now. I have goosebumps. I'm so proud to know you. I'm so proud and excited that we found our way to each other online. We've never met in person, but that state convention is coming up girl. And we, I don't know if you have a drink, you can drink, you can drink water for all I care, but we're going to meet and have a drink. I'm just so happy for all that you've done. Um, yeah, it's just amazing. And I will even say, so did you say what the rate went up to? Did I miss that? Cause I'm just so. No, I didn't say it. Here. So what did it, it go up to for 92507? It went from 3703 to what? $57.23. So it was about a 40% increase. Still not enough, that. but man, is that going to make a difference? We need to add like a one to the beginning there. <laughs> <laughs> That's our next goal. But yeah, I mean, and it wasn't just that code, right? It's all the CPT codes went up. Right, right. That's and what and what's more is it wasn't just for speech language pathologists. It was again all non institutional, non hospital providers. So that's even greater, you know that because there we weren't the only ones struggling and um, you know concerned about rates. So it, 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 this is just all around good and will allow us to serve and impact more because that is what it was about. But we had to do the work, and and that's what I realize and learned um, is that anytime that there is an issue or a problem, I want to take actionable steps to make it better, to make it right. And not just to impact my myself and my own practice, but my field, the field of speech language pathology. This journey has allowed me to grow a passion for that. So yeah, I'm just excited. I'm so happy. I don't want to start crying. I, I mean, I might for you. I've cried more in uh, over fix SLP than I ever have in my life. So let's let's yeah. go get in our cars, girl. Like let's go cry. <laughs> yeah. So it's been a journey, but I'm I'm happy. I really am. Yeah. I mean, so cool. And the other cool thing to point out too is that when I said you, ha- you know, this is a general generational impact. At some point, these rates are going to need to be attacked again. Maybe they're because they're still too low or because in 15 years from now with inflation, they're going to be really low again. And what you've done is you've made it easier for the next step. So the next group of people or the next organization that takes these rates on isn't starting from 37. They're starting from 50 what? $57.23. Yeah, they're starting from 57. And so you're just making it easier. You've you've made the way for the next group who needs to make that kind of difference too. And so just all around a good thing. So right. what's what's up next for Brianna? What's what's Brianna taking on next? So now that um this is complete, praise Jesus. Um, I'm now just uh shifting my focus to uh, my practice, uh, we want to serve more um, and we want to grow our team. So I've just kind of shifted my my focus to um, my practice. Um, yeah, so that's what I'm doing. But like I said, I have this passion to continue to help and support my fellow SLPs, you know. Um, and so I'm not really sure what that is going to look like, but it's it's in my heart. And so I want to figure out, you know, how I can do that. So 
Um, and, and when that time that time comes, I'm I'm ready to get to work and, and support. So if anyone, you know, um, wants some encouragement or, you know, just kind of needs some advice or a little bit of guidance, I'm happy to help. We're in this together. We really are. Um, and I also want to add, you're right in that, okay, we've, we've done this. Um, we kind of have like a blueprint now because we don't want to wait 14 years. I mean, the rate, the previous rate was in place for like about 14 years. That's just too long. We cannot wait 14 years to ask to be paid adequately. Um, and so we won't do that again. We won't do that again. So we've got a blueprint. You've done amazing things. We've got hundreds of thousands of people listening to this podcast. So people are going to have questions. People are going to want to take on Medicaid in their states in different ways, whether it's cleaning up language or removing the CCC from the requirement. People are going to want to talk to you and good luck because (laughs) thousands of messages are hard to answer. But I, I, you know, I think people are going to want to talk. So Share your social handles. Where can people find you um, if they want to talk to you or if they want to support your work or if they want to do something similar in their state? Hopefully, as we move towards this advocacy firm with Fixed SLP, you know, maybe Brianna comes on and consults and, you know, we distribute it that way. But for now, we're not there. Um, So where do they find you? Sure. So I spend a lot of time on Instagram. You can find me at Brianna, uh, B-R-I-O-N-N-A underscore Ohio SLP. So I spend a lot of time there. Um, I shared a lot of our advocacy efforts there. Um, and then we also, over the course of the four years, we were you know, really trying to organize and get connected with um, fellow Ohio SLP private practice owner. So we created a Facebook group. So if you are a Ohio SLP private practice owner, um, join our Facebook group, get connected with us. It's Ohio SLP private practice owner. Um, We'd love to have you. Cool. Thank you. Is there, I think this has been a great episode. Is there anything we left out? Anything else you want to say? I think I will finish with, you know, and I think I said this earlier too, it, this issue, you know, this, this challenge we face with the Medicaid reimbursement rates, I made it my problem to address. You know, my colleagues made it their problem to address. If we can all take on that mindset, like pick one thing, one thing within our field that you want to improve um, for the greater good of our field, do it. Make it your problem and get after it. Take actionable steps to get it done. And I think if we all take on that mindset, our field will continue to grow and to advance. Um, yeah, that that would be my, my input. So let's keep going. Let's keep advancing our field. Let's keep supporting each other. We got this. Everybody listening, this is what a fearless fixer looks like. Like, this is it. If you want to be the king or queen of fearless fixers, do what Brianna did. And um, yeah, just go for it because it's going to take all of us making the changes that we want to see. We've been, Megan and I have been consistently saying we can't do this alone, but we can help organize and support and get connect people and, and get resources out there. And this is exactly 
exactly what it looks like. This is it right here. So we can't wait till you to see what you do next. Um, I'm so happy that you agreed to join us for the second time since we lost that first recording. But um, yeah, Brianna, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. If you have a story like this one, get with us, message us at team at fixslp.com. We would love to have you on the podcast to hear about the changes that you've made either locally or statewide or nationally. We want to highlight the work of people doing the work. Um, hit subscribe. If you like the podcast, give us that five-star review. Um, keep sharing our stuff because the more people who hear about this, the more fixers are going to start fixing. So that, that with that, I will say thanks for fixing it, everybody. We'll see you next time.